Um, I'm excited to finish out this, this mini part of a, of a series. So it's a mini series within a series, right? And uh, so we're looking at Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 through 23, finishing up that, that in-depth look at the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and, and turn there. Um, if you're a note taker, uh, I, I'm going to ask for, for, your, uh, for you to please forgive me. Uh, normally I have a, a list, we've been doing for this anyway, a list of all the, the other verses that I'm, I'm referencing. I don't have that on these notes, so please forgive me for that. Um, and you may or may not be able to keep up with me as you flip. Depends on how calloused your, your fingers are. I don't want you to catch a paper cut on the way. Um, but you can do your best. I'm going to reference them, and, and I'll read them. And so if you have a, a piece of paper, if you want to write those down and just double-check me later, you know, you're more than welcome. In fact, as uh, Yoshua would say, you're encouraged to do that. And so, so please feel free to do that. But uh, as we're looking at Galatians in 22 through 23, and during this third part here, I just want to ask you, that, uh, or make the statement, that the world tells us, how to succeed in this life, doesn't it? Now, I don't know about you, the message I've got about how to succeed in this life is look out for number one, right? Look out for number one, do what you can to get ahead, uh, be the biggest and the best in the room, uh, do what you want, when you want it, with who you want it with, and don't apologize to anybody ever kind of thing, right? Now, I think that the Word of God uh, gives a very, very different prescription, and so before we get into what the Word of God says in this last of the nine fruits of the Spirit, I, I'd like to go to him in prayer. Will you, will you join me? God, our Father, your Word is amazing. And as we walk through your scriptures, we are in awe of your wisdom and your love. Here in Galatians, you have called us to live by the very Spirit that you give. So Lord God, we confess that we struggle to be faithful to you. We struggle to be gentle and self-controlled. Our sin-filled natures wage war against the spirit that you have given. Forgive us, we pray, for not walking in the spirit as we ought to do. But we also thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. For you remain faithful even in the face of our lack. You never fail to be for us. Your promises are true. We thank you, Father, for your gentleness. You patiently seek after us and correct us as a loving Father does. We praise you, Lord, that you never lose control over yourself. You are perfect in your judgments at all times, in all ways, over all things. And so therefore, Father, we ask that you would be with us today to teach us from your word, to lead us by your spirit, to help us to have victory over the flesh as we seek to walk by the Spirit. Grow in us and bring forth the fruit of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We pray this for our good and for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, now, uh, I kind of gave it away there in the prayer, and, and that, you know, that's okay. And if you have been reading or if you're familiar with this text of Scripture, you probably already know, but the first thing that we're going to talk about here is, is faithfulness. Uh, so in Galatians 5, 22 through 23 there, the, the, the last of these three is faithfulness. This is the state of being, the, the, the state of being someone in whom complete confidence can be placed. That's what uh, they talk about as the definition of faithfulness there. 
And so think about somebody who's trustworthy or somebody who's dependable, right? Now, it used to be the case, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, it used to be the case that we could depend on the banking system, right? Here, Maybe that's something you won't miss about the U.S., I don't know. Uh, but uh, that used to be something that was faithful, trustworthy, dependable. Or, or you, you know, relationships can sometimes fail. But this first area of faithfulness for us to learn as Christians to bear out the fruit of the Spirit, the first way that we do that, that we grow faithfulness in us, I, I think, is in learning of Christ. Are you a student of Christ? Are you seeking to learn more and more of who Jesus is? Because it's a relationship, not just a religion, right? And so to know somebody uh, and to know them more intimately changes who you are. Did you know that? If you don't believe that, ask to some of these folks who have been married for years and years. You know, they can finish each other's sentences. They know the things they like or what they don't like. And it's because they've been together for so long that they end up uh, knowing exactly like the other person. They're, they, they are different than when they first got married than when they are today. Hebrews 10, verse 32 says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. You see, so when we first came to know about Christ, when we first learned of Christ as Lord and Savior, there was an enlightenment that took place. But brother or sister, there ought to be maturing that also is taking place. And so Romans 12, 2 talks about, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This term, when he says the renewal of your mind, means to be a, a ongoing renewal. Think of it this way, because we started this way with this. I love, I love spring. I think Monday, if, if the weather's good or, or whatever we've got going on, we're going to uh, get our garden prepared, which means we're going to do some weeding. We're going to do some tilling of the soil. I, I want to use that illustration for your mind here. This is the idea of continuously having your mind tilled by the word of God so that the right kind of produce, the fruit of the spirit, can grow. So, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, are we learning of Christ? We should be growing in our Bible knowledge. What does your study life look like? Yoshua said it's a good habit to have the Bible in front of you. Yes, absolutely. And what he means by that is even more than just have it in front of you. Are you reading it regularly? Are you pouring over it regularly? Are you seeking to memorize scripture? What are you reading and watching and listening to outside of God's word? Um, I don't know who it was. It might have been Sherlock Holmes who said this. And so I guess Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, really, since, you know, Sherlock is a fictional character. But he referred to his mind as like an, an attic. An addict? Not an addict. An attic. An upside, an up, top of your house place you store stuff. That's an attic, right? So he referred to it as an addict. And, uh, and what he referred to it is, is, you know, like it's, it's, it's proper and it's, in, and it's, in, and it's in, in good array. Not like our addicts, right? Probably. But he would have spaces for it. And so he would go into his mind vault or his attic and he would pull out these different uh, facts and things. And, and I, 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 in the story, uh, you've got Sherlock and then you've got, uh, what's his buddy's name? Watson asked him something about astronomy and Sherlock's reply was, I don't have room for useless facts only those which are going to help in solving crimes and figuring these kind of things out. And so what I want to ask you is, what are you filling your attic space with, right? I think as we age, we understand all the more that there's only so much 
hard drive space up here and I've got to be careful with what I'm putting in because what I'm putting in is what's going to change what's coming out just like the seed in the soil. And so are we having our minds, are we learning of Christ? Are we growing in our application of scripture? Or are we just showing up Sunday after Sunday to sing some songs and hear something from the Bible and then we leave and nothing about us has really changed? Who is Christ to you? situation by situation, not just Lord and Savior of, or Creator, Sustainer of the universe. And so the more we learn of Christ, our natural inclination in faithfulness then grows to the second area of faithfulness in how we cultivate faithfulness, which is in loving Christ. Because just like I said with a spouse or any kind of other relationship, even kids for that matter. I, I loved my kids the moment that they popped out, but I love them more now. Because now I know their personalities. Now I know their proclivities. I loved my wife when we got married, but I love her more now. I loved Christ when I first met him, but I love him more now. And so I want to ask, are you growing in your learning of Christ to grow in your loving of Christ? Matthew 23, 20, uh, 20, I'm sorry, Matthew 22, 37 says, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In another place, with all your strength. We should be growing in our affections towards God. Now, let's just be real. There are times in every single one of our lives where there are going to be times where we feel a very real or at least tangible or we, we feel this way distance between us and God for whatever reason that might be. That's no, you're normal, okay? Welcome, welcome. That's normal. Great theologians of the past have said the same thing. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite expositors of the word has talked about how he had the basically the soul depression is i'm sure he was more eloquent with it but that that's what he's getting at and so but that's just that's just an emotion that's not the truth so we need to remind ourselves with those with those things but we should be growing in our affections towards god and you know what shows that i want to ask you what is your prayer life like are you talking with god you know he says in Scripture, pray without ceasing. And we think, well, that, you can't do that. That's impossible. Yes, because we're sinful and we're fallen. But are you, are, how about this? Are you talking to God more than you're watching TV? Ouch. Are you talking to God more than you're playing video games? Are you talking to God more than you're engaging whatever hobby you enjoy? Are we loving Christ well? Are you seeking to cultivate a spirit of thankfulness and worship? Are you actively looking for ways to praise the Lord in the everyday, even in the mundane? I guess I want to pose to you, what, what does it mean to love Christ. And maybe even in your small groups or with your questions, I don't know if this is one of the questions that I, that I, I can't remember. Uh, what does it look like, in your opinion, what does it look like to live a life that loves Christ? So, we're talking about faithfulness though, right? So we, we learn about Christ. The more we learn about Christ, it leads us naturally, I, I believe, to loving Christ. As we grow in our love for Christ, our lives will show this in the third area, which this may not be a, uh, if you're, if you're a alliteration, if you know me well, 
in living for Christ, right? That's the outpouring of real love. What's the name? What, what, what do we say here at, at Allegan Bible Church? Love. Oh, so we don't say love fakes? Or we don't say love just sort of looks? No, love acts. That is the natural outpouring of true love, is that it would actually seek to produce to do these things. In living for Christ, 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Are you growing in your Christ-likeness? Now, again, let me say this to you. Often, we need other people to tell us that. Because if you're anything like me, I don't wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, you're Christ-like. It's not how I roll, okay? And if you roll that way, let me, let me give you some, some truth. You need to be a little humbler, okay? You need to grow in humility like Christ. That's your area where you need to grow in Christ if that's how you roll. So all of us have these times where we need other people. All of us have these times where we wonder how different we are, how much we have actually changed. And I think that the, that the more mature, the longer we've been walking, I, I guess, let, let, me not, let me not equivocate those things. You've been saved for a long time. That doesn't necessarily mean you're mature in Christ, okay? But the longer that you've been saved, I think maybe the harder it is to see what kind of changes are taking place. But let's use this illustration of sandpaper. So if you're familiar any kind uh, with sandpaper at all, there's different kind of grits, which means this. There's a coarser grit of sandpaper, which takes off a lot of wood quickly because it's, it's, it's larger grit. It's able to take off a lot. And then there's something called finer grit, which takes off a smaller amount of wood each time. You see, the great architect is a master builder. He knows that at the beginning or different times or phases in our lives, that he's got to get the heavy grit out because there's something he's got to take care of right now. You know what sucks about that? Sorry, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I should say that from the pulpit. I, you can tell me. About you know what's unfortunate about that? I got carried away with just being myself. So what's unfortunate about that is when you take heavy grit to something, that is painful. But we often see those results right away. But when you use the light grit sandpaper, Sometimes we don't feel it, but it's still happening. So is this, hopefully this illustration is, is resting at home with you, but as we grow in our Christ-likeness, we need others sometimes to show us, yes, this is not a heavy grit time of your life. This is a light grit, but I see the changes taking place in you. And so I want to ask, are we growing in our Christ-likeness? Would those who know you best identify marked growth in your life? Can you identify marked growth in your life? Yes, but can others identify that? Do you know that's why we're a body of believers? So we live life with one another and so that when we can actually practice Matthew 18 discipline if necessary, but also so that we can encourage. So it's encourage one another and all the more as the days are evil. Why does it say that? Because we all know that eventually we need to see that the grit is still working on us. Is there measurable difference in your day-to-day -day life now rather than before? One area to think about this is where are you serving and how are you serving? You know, I have found it to be the case that the things I want to do, I always have time to do. I'm, I'm, you know what, I make time to do those things. So where are you sacrificing for him? Now, we're not saved by works. 
but are you loving him enough to live for him, to sacrifice something you also love for that which you love more? Are we regularly witnessing for him, telling of his goodness? So we, however, cannot be satisfied with merely living for Christ. Our fourth and final area of practical faithfulness as we grow is then finally then looking for Christ. Because I don't know about you, but I can do all these things, and I try to do all these things, but I'm not satisfied here. We just had a service yesterday. I'm not satisfied with this world, and I hope you're not either. We need to look for Christ. We need to hope for Christ. We need to long for Christ to return. I guess that would have been a good one too. John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you long for that? Or are you so caught up in the things of this world that you're, you're, you're not conscious of that? That isn't really your goal, if we're honest. Your goal is retirement or is the next phase of life or is whatever. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at at an hour you do not expect. Let that be a righteous fear in your heart to be caught as a good and faithful servant in the midst of something good for him rather than being caught unaware. So are you living for the moment or preparing for eternity? So from faithfulness because of time, we're going to go over too. Uh, but from faithfulness, let us move on to the second part, which then, of course, is gentleness. So another word for gentleness is meekness. So depending on what translation you use, uh, I'm using the ESV. A lot of times we use the ESV here. I should have told you that. I don't know, I don't know what translation you're using, but uh, it could have meekness in your translation that you prefer. It could have gentleness in there. Uh, either one is fine. This is this attitude and behavior It's in direct contrast, so exactly, you know, darkness and light with harshness in one's dealing with others, okay? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, in our world today, gentleness, meekness is not necessarily something that's seen as positive, right? And in fact, in our society, if there is a man, well, maybe it's not that way anymore. It used to be the case that if there is a man who is gentle, he would be looked down upon as less manly. Well, scripture tells us uh, that even though this maybe isn't always attractive in accords, according to the flesh, according to the Lord, it is greatly attractive. And so the first thing I want to do is give you some reasons for gentleness. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I've got another one, um, but that's enough. Jesus was meek. Jesus was gentle, and if you're a Christian, yeah, you're right. Thank you for out loud finishing that. Jesus, our Savior, was meek. We are to be like Jesus. 
That's a reason enough. Uh, but we're also commanded, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so not only do we have a divine illustration in Christ Jesus, and again, if we're loving Christ, being like Christ, spending that relationship with we should want to and long to be like him, but also, quite frankly, he just commands us to do that. So as a Christian, are you willing to obey Jesus? Sometimes it's hard to be gentle and meek. Even the ones who walked closely with Jesus struggled with that. I, I, I should know the chapter or verse. It just came to me right now, so please forgive me for that. But if you know your Bibles, you know there's a section in Scripture where they're walking with Jesus and something happens, and one of them says, well, should we just call down fire on these guys? They should know by now that Jesus was gentle and was meek and that the answer would be, uh, no. <laughs> of course, yeah, James and John, sons of thunder. Almost as bad as Peter, but not, they're just, <laughs> maybe they were cousins, Peter was their cousin. So let's move on from the reasons, not only was Jesus, but we were commanded, but the reality of gentleness, James 4, 6, which says this. But he, meaning God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you. I do not want God opposed to me. Now, I can handle any other opposition out there. But when God is opposed to you, things are looking bleak. And so the reasons for gentleness are, we have the illustration of it, we were commanded to it, but the reality of gentleness is, if you choose to be disobedient, God is no longer going to be behind you. He is going to be opposed to you. Do you see the strength of that? God is opposed to the proud, not just indifferent to, opposed to the proud. So the reality of our purest, or I'm sorry, the reality of our pursuit of gentleness leads us then to not only, so we have the reason, we have the reality of it, but then we also have the results of this gentleness. James 4, 6 again. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if God is opposed to the haughty, then he is for the humble. This word grace means this unmerited favor. Favor that we do not deserve from God, but that he's going to freely bestow upon us. And I just have one question for you. It's rhetorical, but all of you are going to answer the same. Do you want God's grace? Because I do. I, none of us would survive without God's grace. Do you know that even those who aren't Christians, so here's a little, we're going to rabbit trail, just some quick theology, just for fun, okay? But did you know there's something called restraining grace that he actually is continuing to manifest over this earth at current so that those, those who are wicked, those who are unsaved, right? Those who don't know saving grace still have something called restraining grace. What actually means that those who are wicked are not as wicked as they could be because even that God is restraining so that they might come to salvation. So just imagine what would happen if he removed his restraining grace. So then lastly, the results of this gentleness, of us pursuing that, 
of us cultivating that. So we have reasons for it. There's a reality behind it. There is results of it. But then also, lastly, then, I want you to see, if that's not enough, there are actually rewards of gentleness. Now, I don't know if this is, like, the best-kept secret. Um, now, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that Christianity is easy, Okay. It's, it's a, that's what we're talking about right here. The war between the flesh and the spirit. And so you see, these are the things that you want to cultivate, the fruit of the spirit by walking by the spirit, right? Now, I'm not saying that that's always easy to do. But there are rewards. I don't know if it was Joel Olstein or who said it, um, but living your best life now. Now, I believe he's probably totally heretical, okay? But I can tell you this. When you live for Christ, if your life, this life, is living for Christ, then that is the best life that you can live because it's lived for Christ. So I'll, I'll give him that. And he's got a good smile, I guess, right? But there are rewards of gentleness. Matthew 18, 4 says, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, God is not only for, uh, opposed to the, to the proud, but gives grace to the gentle, to the humble, to the meek, but he also gives rewards for them. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear for you good and faithful servant. I want for you to receive a crown when you enter into those gates. I, I long for that for you. Do you know that God himself will give us the honor that we deny ourselves by seeking to be humble and seeking to be gentle, and seeking to be a servant like his son served, there are rewards for gentleness. So then lastly, because of time, we cannot exhaust all the rewards of gentleness. I must move finally then to self-control. This is the idea to exercise. Now, this is the definition here. I just, I don't even really have to preach on it. This should be enough to exercise complete control over one's desires and actions. That's self-control. You're dismissed, right? But self-control, if we pick it apart a little bit, which, which we're going to do, I think self-control can be seen in a, a variety of ways. And so the first of those is control of our time. Psalm 90.12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, it's funny, as, as you grow, if you've ever talked to a kid, right? So, like, they have their birthday. So let's say the kid had their birthday last week, right? And you... you it's, but it's got to be young, so four years old. We'll say four. So if a kid had their birthday last week, and you ask them how old they are, and they'll tell you, well, I'm almost five. Yeah. You're almost five? I thought you just had a birthday. Well, I did. And so four is done. I'm almost five now. And you're like, there's, there's another 365 days. Like, you just scratched the surface, kid. 
And then, and then, the older you get, they'll have a birthday and you said, yeah, that sounds right. You're almost five. I get it because it's just around the corner, right? I understand that. But Psalms tells us in 9012, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Do you understand? I know you do. There's only 24 hours in a day, right? And out of that 24 hours, right, probably 12 of those hours, you're actually doing stuff. And out of those 12 hours, if we're real honest, probably eight were actually like really super effective. Because we've got to sleep, we've got to eat, we've got to go to the restroom, we've got other things that are taking up our time. We are to be focused on eternity every single moment. So I want to ask you, are you redeeming your time? Are you controlled with your time? Are you monitoring your time? Or are you wasting your time? Now, on the flip side, I'm not here to guilt you and tell you, oh, that means whatever hobby you like, that's done. You're called to full-time missionary work, right? I'm, I'm not saying that. God wants you to enjoy this life, okay? Ecclesiastes, we're about to go there, and he says straight up, it is better just eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? He hadn't a good idea of time. And so you should enjoy this life. It shouldn't all be laborious, hard work all the time. He wants you to enter into his rest. I mean, for Pete's sake, he created the Sabbath day of rest, right? He did all those things. So I'm not here preaching to you saying, okay, well, let's... Let's get out there and have a terrible rest of your day because if you're, if you're relaxing at all, then you're in sin. That's not what the Bible says here. But we need to redeem our time. We need to use the most of our time. We need to use our time under self-control because that's a fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, look carefully then in how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so enjoy your hobbies, enjoy your rest, but use it appropriately and rightly and with a right balance, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So self-control is not just about our time, though, is it? It's also about our temper. Now, I'm using temper uh, because it matches the T's. But really, this is for all of our emotions, right? And so we ought to be a person who's in control of our temper of our emotions. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You see, our Lord is not quick to anger with us, and yet, how quick are we to anger with others? So as you know, we're out of our house right now. Right now, we're with my in-laws, and I love it there. She's an excellent cook, and they've got plenty of space. They love Mimi and Papa, so it's good. The only thing that's the downside is the drive. Well, I was driving here the other day, and there was somebody who was going much too slow, in my opinion. And so I did what we all do, and I tailgated her. And then, when it was time, I passed her. And when I was trying to pass her, she decided that she would now speed up. <laughs> Makes total sense to me. And so as we were drag racing down M40, I finally won and got over, and then immediately she decided she was going too fast, as we both agreed, and she found her slow speed again. Now, I actually thought that this was hilarious at the time and was enjoying it, but that's a rarity. Most of the time, I would be absolutely furious about this situation. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit who takes a city. 
Lord, help us to not be a people who are angry. So I want you to look at this verse, this Proverb 16, 32. I want you to think about your own life. Where are areas that you know that you are tempted to be angry in? Where are areas in your life where you can ask for the Lord's help in self-control to put off anger and put on grace, put on patience, which is another fruit of the Spirit, right? To have self-control over your temper. But there's, there's another one. And if you thought this one was hard, get ready for this. They're all T's. Where am I going? To control your tongue. I, you may not like it, sister, but it doesn't release you from your duty. So here's the deal. Control our tongue, right? James 1, 26. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. How are we doing with this? Are we giving a right word in season? Are we seeking to build up rather than tear down? Are we using the tongues that God has given us? It says also here in James, there's worship and there's praise and then there's cursing and deceit. Those things should not be, right? It says fresh water, salt water flow. They can't both come from the same wellspring. It ought to be sweet water, water that is refreshing. So controlling of our tongues, And it's not just in what we don't say. Now, it's often preached that way. If I'm honest with you, I often think of it that way. And I think, oh, yeah, there's a lot of things that I probably shouldn't say. Like, you know, the S word from the pulpit. Not the S word. I guess there's a different S word. I digress. (laughs) My foot tastes good this morning. (laughs) But what I'm saying is it's not just what you don't say. How about it's what you do say, right? Are we self-controlled in our tongue? And are we sharing the gospel? How will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe on him in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Are you ready when people say something for you to say, hey, God bless you, or hey, glory to God, or hey, let me pray for you? And then are you praying for them? Are we self-controlled in our tongue, not just in what we're not saying, but what we should be saying? Because we are called to go and share and preach and teach, and that's all of us, not just those who are going to hungry. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. How are we interacting in the body? As Christians, we are called to speak the truth in love, using our tongues to bless and to build rather than to tear down. So lastly, then, on self-control, to manifest itself, not just in time, not just in temper, not just in tongue, but also, lastly, then, in our talents. God has given you abilities, brothers or sisters. He has given you wisdom. He has given you experiences. He has given you hurdles in life. He's given you misfortune and he's given you blessing. He's given you all of that so that you can build up the rest of this body of believers that we're all part of. Matthew 25, 15 through 30 is the story of the talents. I'm sure you're familiar with it. The Cliff Notes version is this. A guy leaves, he puts four dudes in charge, three of them do good, one of them does bad. He comes back, The three that did good, he blesses, he gives more. The one that did bad, not so good, okay? Doesn't end well. That's the story of the talents, John version. How are you doing with your talents? God has given me the gift, I guess, or the calling of preaching and teaching. I praise the Lord for that. But he's given you a gift, 
what is yours. If God has given you the gift of preaching and teaching, brother, I want to share the pulpit with you because I want to be blessed by the Lord, by what he's given to you. Sister, what gift has he given you? What ministry are you involved in or should you be involved in? What talents has he given you that he has not given to everybody else so that you might build up the body? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What you have, you did not receive. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Romans 12, 5. So we ought then, many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So I want to ask you this morning, are you neglecting the body of Christ by withholding your talents from it? Or are you seeking to bless the body and build it up and make it healthy by being an active part of it? And you might be here saying this morning, well, pastor, that sounds great. I would love to do that. How do I do that? Well, let's have a conversation about that because it's going to be different for every single one of us because some of us are called to stand up in front of people and talk. And some of us are called to never stand up in front of anybody and say anything, but we are so good at serving behind the scenes. So, our time is gone. So to recap, let us walk in step with the Spirit in order that the Spirit might produce in us faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray. God, our Father, it is our prayer that you would help us that you would do this work in us. For we know that the works of the flesh are against that of the Spirit and that they wage against one another so that we do not do that which we want to do. So we ask for you to help us, that you would give us your Spirit, that you would guide and direct and show us where to go and how to get there, that in us you would produce the fruit of the Spirit so that your name might be glorified and so your body might be built up and so that we might receive the blessing that you have offered to us in being good and faithful servants. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.